Hey everybody, my name is Doug Fine and I run Defined Performance Solutions uh, out of Augusta, Georgia. And today in the long form podcast that we offer, it's Devin Halliday. Uh, Devin, thank you for being here. Uh, I look forward to learning more about you and our listeners to learn more about you and what you do and how you can help them. But first folks, I want to uh, read a bio of Devin's. He's got a powerful bio and he very intriguing. You're going you're gonna to see that right away. He's an award-winning sales leader with a diverse background and passion for people. He hosts the Belonging Factor podcast, where he elevates the dialogue around diversity, inclusion, and of course, belonging. Devin is the founder and chief belonging architect at Rudiment Solutions, a people empowerment company that works with individuals and organizations to thrive in all things people, process, and profits. Devin proudly served in the United States Navy. He's a Northern California native. He's explored the people, places, and cultures across this beautiful planet. He's been amazed, he's been humbled, and he's been outraged. But mostly he's been inspired to share his lessons with audiences worldwide. So again, thank you for joining me, Devin. This is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't have said that better myself. Thanks for going through that. <laughs> hey, oh, what, what, what had you outraged? Oh, gosh. Okay, so many things. Um, I, uh, I'll share a brief story. Um, uh, I've lived in many places around the world, lived in Japan and, and traveled everywhere. And, and uh, it, w one place I, I lived, in fact, immediately prior to moving to Pittsburgh, I lived in Hawaii for a number of years. And Lucky. Right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't make a point to pause and reflect on how fortunate I was to have that opportunity, particularly considering that many families spend a lifetime saving to go on one family <laughs> for a week to, to the islands, right? It's got a vibe that you can't compare with, right? I know. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, so I experienced living in Hawaii, something that um, as a, as a white male, there's not a lot of opportunity for me to experience in the U S and that was uh, racial and ethnic discrimination. Um, and Doug, I know, I know you lived in Hawaii, right? For I, I, I've traveled through there. I've been there a few Hawaii times, yeah. For a period of time, yeah. Yes. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a history to Hawaii, that, a set of islands that has been conquered. I mean, is that a word? I guess it is. Taken, right? maybe. Taken, yeah. Stolen in the name of, um, you know, a queen or a king or a, a flag. A president. Yeah, a flag. And, um, and so there's a, there's a long and rich history of very proud native Hawaiian people who have um, experienced some, some tremendous things that, that my privilege dictates that I just have not been necessarily aware of. And living there and experiencing for myself this um, racism. And is it racism? If it's, yeah, I mean, let's just call it that. Because I was white and from the mainland, I was um, yelled at, ridiculed, not allowed in certain places when I was with a Hawaiian you know, friend of mine, etc. cetera. Uh, they thought that she had no business with being with me. Literally, we were coworkers and we were going to a restaurant that she absolutely loved and she's a local Hawaiian. Wow. Uh, I wasn't welcome there. She had to leave too. And so, I mean, there, there's a moment for me of outrage and not outrage at the Hawaiian people. Outrage at my privilege and ignorance, um, outrage at myself for the fact that I was so pissed at these folks. And in reality, yeah, that wasn't right. Yeah, maybe that shouldn't have happened. But that is something that until it happened to me, it, it wasn't as big of a deal, right? So, so I mean, there, there's, a, there's a small example of some outrage um, when I really became very, very evident uh, and aware of 
privilege that I had been afforded that I, I didn't have any other opportunity to experience or see in that way. Hey, I want to just let the audience know that um, you and I are shipmates. Yeah. We, we both served in that, what I call the canoe club. The canoe club. Of the U.S. Navy. That's true. Uh, and you were very uh, blessed to go to these different places, actually live there yeah. uh, on your Navy tour. So um, tell me about your, your, your best takeaway from the U.S. Navy. Best takeaway from the U.S. Navy. Um, work the overnight shift because the chow line is shorter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go ahead. So... Uh, best takeaway from the Navy, the amazing ability that the military has to take a bunch of individuals and in a very short period of time, strip them down of all individual self-confidence and build them back together in this team mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that you know a, a little bit jokingly, but, but just the idea of a, a, an incredible way for people who have never maybe seen other people of certain races or different backgrounds, right. bring them all together and teach them how to have each other's backs to look out for each other and to move the mission forward together uh, was just an incredible experience to go through at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, I did grow up in Northern California where there was, I, I believe, a very different experience than, than many parts of the U.S. where we had many different cultures represented in a v- very small geographic area. I was in school with kids from all sorts of backgrounds. And, um, and not just in school, but in society, in, in, in the area, very open, very progressive, very liberal and diverse in that particular, you know, social aspect. Um, so it, that, that was not necessarily different for me, but, you know, like all social groups that, that identify on certain differences, you, you know, little groups form and, and create cliques. And in the military, particularly in the onset early on in boot camp and training, that there's no room for that. Everybody is a unit. So I would tell you one of my biggest pieces that I've taken away is that ability to, to bring people together. And because of their differences, not um, in spite of any differences, make the group better. We were very fortunate, actually, because I had the same experience yeah, in my, my yeah. tour in the Navy. Hey, this is going to be a little provocative for you. Um, but I, so I'm going to I'm going to. Um, Give the title of your book, the main title. Would you give me the little, the following bit of the title? And then I'm going to ask you, how, how the heck are you qualified to write a book, dude? So here it goes. The belonging factor. Belonging factor. How great brands and great leaders inspire action, build community, and grow profits. Awesome. So, Available now uh, on Amazon.com. <laughs> please go there. Go there. Because his book launched this week, people. So we're, get, we're getting uh, Devin's book uh, fresh. Um, so I want to hear really about your story. Uh, I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of sharing some of the major themes of your book in your book sure. and, and what we can learn from just the author telling us a few things. Yeah, so uh, let me let me address your provocative question. How am I qualified to write this book? So, unless I was a guy who spent his time in, you know, the, the military writing a book about brain surgery, um <laughs> I I I'm I'm pretty sure that most people are qualified to to write about at the very least their lived experiences and then when they um do that for decades and then on top of that become uh, academic students of human behavior, psychology, and um, students of winning teams and great brands. Uh, suddenly, the, this the, at least collection of information starts to follow, uh, and then from there, in my work, putting it in practice with others and watching the results happen has really been the genesis of then I what, what I would say creates the ability to, to put this book together with a confidence that that as the reader. You can now take action on this mm-hmm. and uh, call me if you need some help. Happy to walk you through some stuff. Call me if you want me to work with you. But really, you have the keys and tools to start doing what you need to right now as a Beautiful. So, um, so, I, so I took an approach with Belonging Factor um, to kind of break the book into three sections. Identified what I call the belonging deficit. And I talked a little bit about you know, some of my history and story and how I came to believe in belonging and the importance of it 
talked about my privilege and, and the Hawaii story is definitely shared mm-hmm. in there as well. Um, and then ultimately why the future can't wait for us to figure this out. The, the future is here now. The way people work in the future is the way people work now. And, wow. and if, we don't, if we don't start taking that approach to it, um, if you are in, in an organization and you don't start taking that approach, your competitors are because mm-hmm. I'm working with them. <laughs> and 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 they will simply outperform you. In fact, the, the data is is overwhelming in favor. 17% um increase in revenue over industry averages just by creating a culture of inclusion. Forget belonging. We haven't even got to that full depth yet. This is just inclusion. Uh 12% up in top line revenues uh overall. Um 9% up in net sales. And we're talking measured over a six-year period too against peers. So th- th- there is an economic power to doing this, right? Um, this, the second factor or the second part of the book is really then talking about the belonging factor, mm-hmm. what those five characteristics are. What are um, they? I- I'm glad you asked that question. So I, I-, I talked on, uh, a little bit about this on our, our short form, but uh, the most important uh, characteristics is really where I boiled this down to. And, and let me be clear. I chose these five because they are overlaps between leaders and brands. And what I mean by that is the way a customer experiences your product or service through the brand and the way an employee experiences the organization through the leader. Mm-hmm. Five pieces overlapped in, in the research I did. And that was where I really saw this, this economic power develop outside of the community and the, and the loyalty. So number one, you have to have authenticity to model what's expected. It means that you have to be able to self-analyze and then and really clearly state who you are authentic, authentically and transparently and then model that, live it. Be who you say you are. The second one, empowerment. Empower people, champion others, give ownership, give a voice, advocate. Provide support, not reactively, but proactively, right? So that's, that's the next piece. Third one, defining roles and behaviors to create value alignment. And this is the part that I, I, I chatted sure. about earlier on the short form, but this one is so important and probably most overlooked. It's the one that we actually most frequently say, got it, good, check the box, awesome. Yep, everybody has a job description and a job title. They were good. And we have our values up. Oh yeah, look at the wall. We put our we we put our culture code on the on the wall. Um, it's it's about eliminating assumptions. So by <laughs> checking the box and putting it on the wall, you've assumed that everybody's good. And so it's it, a big part of that is about eliminating assumptions. And I get certainly in much more detail in the book. Yes. Next one, community. You have to foster a sense of collaboration, trust, and the ability to be human that actually builds towards a community within your environment. Um, what do communities have? What do, what, what do, what, when, you, when you look up the definition of the word community or you just think of your own personal definition, in fact, Doug, maybe I'll ask you, how would you define what a community is? I would say a community is uh, a place or, um, yeah, let's just say a place or, or a group of people that, for one, have great respect for each other and, and value and uh, delight in people's diversity. They delight in the strengths of others. And there's no longer competition. There is just uh, love and connection and uh, a, a will to work together towards something very, very good, whatever that is. Yeah, I love your your definition there. Um, it is it is the ability to work together to bring your values further and forward to deliver or achieve whatever you want to. A community potluck, people come together, they cook their food, they communicate with each other about oh yeah you know Janice has this amazing dish that she's she really good at it. Yeah, that's and, cool. Oh my gosh, Montel's barbecue is the best. We have to get his barbecue. Call Montel. Let's get him in here. Right. Those kind of things. So it's it's connecting. Part of community is 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 protecting it a little bit, but mm-hmm. the other part of it is growing it. Yeah. So so you you protect the identity of your community while growing the people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that that's that's 
ultimately the fourth one, and then the last one is to build intellectual or cognitive diversity. And I, I'm a huge advocate of diversity, of inclusion in general. I could go on another show uh, worth of topics around what I believe is uh, some of the challenges and how businesses currently approach achieving diversity or their intentions behind why they're achieving diversity in their workforce mm-hmm. uh, based on the methods that they're, they're choosing. But intellectual or cognitive diversity is, is the greatest asset. And that does come from certain things you can see. Certain things you can see with a person's skin color or gender indicates that they may potentially have a cognitive diversity that they can add value to the team. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about when, with diversity is creating a constructive environment where people are, who are on the team are adding to the value of the culture of the team. They're not a culture fit. They're a culture add, right? Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And so, so it's valuing the diversity of their backgrounds, whether it's in education or it's in lived experience that, that brings forward what your team's culture and capabilities are. And so simply building a team that has people who look different based on gender or race or, uh, or ability, right? Uh, physical ability does not mean that necessarily you've built cognitive diversity or that you've done something that is going to measurably impact the value to the people and the outcomes to the business. But when you build that intellectual or that, that cognitive diversity, which definitely typically includes different cultures and, and, and uh, backgrounds, you, you now are working towards your fundamental mission for your organization, which is always to deliver a better outcome, whether you're nonprofit or for-profit better outcomes is what's measured, right? Right. So that's, those are the five. Well, you know, I'm going to play a game with you. Oh, boy. And this, I just dreamed this up just when you were talking about your five. And I'm going to ask an expert in belonging and an expert in organizational culture. I'm going to ask you just to kind of riff on the things that I sell, if you will, and I try to bring to organizations to help them become engaged organizations, fully engaged. And you see those words back there, magic? I see magic. Yeah, they actually stand for something. They sure so, do, don't they? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to, to just talk a little bit about your take on my letters, okay? So let's start with, I'm going to mix them up because it's, it's really not about the letters. It's, it's really not about the word. It's about the letters. Let's do what it. What about G? It stands for growth in my model. Talk about growth in an organization. So... Um, Growth in an organization is typically measured in my experience based on the uh, revenue growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so growth of an organization, in, from my perspective, must be measured in a few other ways in addition to that. Okay. Um, so we're not just growing markets. Uh, we're not just growing our top line. We're not just growing our... Um, well, I guess you wouldn't want to grow your OPEX necessarily unless you were uber <laughs> uh, yeah but, but uh but growth of an organization on in the way that it's impacting a culture or a society growth in the way that an organization um has the ability to scale not because of what it's done necessarily just financially but from what it's done from its brand standpoint meaning there's more demand mm-hmm. product or service that they have to offer so because you're you're trying to solve something more holistic you're being rewarded with now a, a, a need to grow your business to, to fulfill that because you've built a brand. Uh, maybe a Patagonia could be a good one to, to mm-hmm. you've built a brand where people align so much with your vision and values that they want to spend five times the cost of what it is at, you know, Macy's for your windbreaker or your, your parka. Um, and then you have to now go solve the problem of, growing your production and growing your sales and growing your order fulfillment, right? So, yeah. Talk to me about the growth of your people within an organization. When you say that, or when I say that, tell me where you go in your head about how people grow within an organization. Yeah. So growth of people, maybe that was just seemingly too obvious for me and I didn't mention. Uh, That's okay. Yeah. No, the, the growth of people within the organization. So 
um, I believe firmly in when I when I talk about empowering and championing others and giving them a voice, it's because by focusing on growing the capability of your people, growing the the confidence of your people, they innovate in ways that that have the ability to impact your business in such a tr tremendous way. They go home at the end of the day with a smile on their face, excited for the next day. And when they're at that barbecue or that restaurant or that family gathering or out with the bar with friends, and they're talking about how amazing their life and their work is, mm -hmm. they're actually recruiting for you. Absolutely. And they're not, they're not going to recruit the, you know, the dirt bags. That's but, a Navy term, y'all. Yeah, it is. It is a Navy term. The, um, the, they, are, they are going to, they're going to be recruiting and attracting people who align similarly in those types of values or characteristics. So then now you're, you're growing the power and capability of your organization. And then of course you have growing careers. So when you think about growing the, the progress of an organization, um, some of the best organizations that exist out there have people who started in mail rooms or entry level mm -hmm. jobs and had leaders who grew their capabilities, their proficiencies, their impact and empowered them to take those next roles. Uh, and now they're being led by, or organization, you know, parts of the organization being led by people who have not necessarily just been indoctrinated into a culture, but who've been part of like that leading edge of every part of change, right? Boy, you, you just shared something that uh, a little bit of a mind blow. When you talked about an organization that, uh, you know, you can bring in people from the outside and the, Oftentimes people do, but that leader that's been groomed and grown within the organization and has, all, has been given and earned all kinds of opportunities within that organization to eventually have a senior level position, don't you think that person is just going to be so uh, clued in to what he or she got from the organization and there, it's going to be so much easier for them. They don't have to. They don't have to be convinced about growing their people. They were yeah. grown, and and it's just going to be almost like an automatic thing. And that just leads me to think. Gosh, you know, people ought to be people ought to be promoting from within way more than uh, companies tend to do. It's yeah. almost period. I want to say period. Yeah, yeah, period. Right. Um, there, as with anything, there are risks associated with doing that. You, you, you risk creating an echo chamber where right. you recycle thoughts and ideas over and over um, and, and don't have fresh perspectives. Yes. Um, That's the downside. You're right. But, but, do you, but there's a solution to that downside that, that actually enhances the benefits of what the upside are. And that's working with um, you know, an outside organization, bringing in a, a consultant or yes. somebody who can, who can help give that perspective and shine that light for you where you need it. But you get all of those other benefits by promoting the leaders up. You don't always have to hire from outside, right? Yeah. Here's, here's one thing. If you're a senior leader and you're watching or listening, mm -hmm. to, and so you're, you're a VP or higher position and you have experienced that, that progress from, you know, frontline to, to boardroom so to speak. The, the one thing that I have experienced and I would ask you to just evaluate is to, you know, I'll, and I'll ask this question rhetorically, is there a bubble that you pierce into at some point in your, your executive transition that insulates you from remembering and, and mm. doing all of that? Uh, I've experienced it and. Um, personally in, in, in folks that I've had in my leadership chain, as well as with some folks that I've worked with who have gone through that progression, but they achieved a new role where really the stakes, I mean, let's be clear, the stakes are different when you're in a, a senior executive role. Um, the, the conversations are different. The impact of decisions are different. And also the politics tends mm. to be a much more forward role in interactions and decision-making. And so you know, is there, is there, is there a bubble that you pierce into and, and where some of that stuff can be uh, forgotten or become not politically amenable to what you are trying to accomplish in your career at that point and why, right? So there's the rhetorical and why. I, when you were talking about the bubble, I was, 
it, it could also work this way. You're not peering into it, but the bubbles around you, your brain almost, you know? Yeah. And you're looking out from your bubble. Right. That your new bubble that you, you guess what? Sometimes people think uh, they're in this new role and they can't talk to the people. They can't go back to their former coworkers and it's all different. And I, so that's beautiful. It's well said. Okay. Let's go on to M. That stands for meaning. Uh, my, my thoughts on meaning. Um, you don't have a P on there. So I'm going to talk about purpose when I talk about meaning. Sure. Um, and because that's, that's my interpretation. If, uh, if there is a common or shared purpose, or if there's an alignment with a personal purpose, mm-hmm. where there's meaning that is given to the work, um, that's where engagement starts to really create its foundation, right? And so as an employee, particularly in the, what are we at, five generations in the workforce currently? I think Something so. like that. Yeah. We, still have, we still have some greatest generation that's on the tail end, and then the Gen Z's just starting to get in there. So... <clears throat> it's it's a multifaceted thing is is the work i'm doing meaningful to the to my boss does my boss you know find value in in what i'm doing mm-hmm. uh, does the organization and what and is what i'm doing really have an impact on the organization or is it just busy work mm-hmm. uh next one do i feel like this is a respectable gig where like you know people look at me in the community and think oh yeah you're doing something that, that's pretty cool and is it meaningful to me or fulfilling or purposeful for me? Um, that's what I think of when I think of the M. I don't, I don't know where you sit on it, but that's where I would be doing and I do my work in helping fulfill those areas of purpose. Awesome. Well, what we share is that everybody needs to find the meaning in their work. And it could either be directly like from the work itself. It's like you're, you're, you're motivated by something outside yourself. It's providing something to you. Um, and there's the opportunity to have like indirect meaning that let's say I, I have a very low level position in the city uh, of utilities department in the city and I'm, I'm picking up trash every day. That's my job. Well, is that super meaningful to a person? Maybe not, maybe, but it's me, it can become meaningful when they understand I have this job because I got three kids and I have a wife that needs me, needs this income. So they're finding meaning sort of in an indirect way. That's kind of how we view it. It's like it's, it's internal to what you're doing every day. I think your meaning is certainly not, uh, your, certain, your meaning is certainly direct into what you get to do every day, the gift you have sure. of, of sharing. But there are a lot of people that are doing their work for other reasons beside the work, and that's, that's perfectly uh, fine. It's like, uh, yeah, absolutely it is. Okay. I mean, maybe, maybe you like picking up, I'm sorry, like is not the right word. Maybe you have the job picking up the trash in the park and where you find meaning is that uh, you get to take your kids to a clean park. Exactly. I mean, that, well, that's the, that, right? and, yes, and, and that person uh, can make that decision about the meaning that they bring to their Absolutely, job. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. So I think you, you kind of went a lot on connection or, or community connection, but C oh, stands yeah. for connection. So would you want to add anything else uh, that how connection um, uh, manifests in better engagement? Yeah, I think the, the reality is this world is people working with people. And that's where in belonging factor, these five characteristics work so well. And, and the reason they even overlap is a brand is just trying to, you know, inter- interface with a, a prospective or current customer, right? And a leader is just interfacing with the people within their organization that report to them. So um, keeping that perspective where people working with people, it means that there has to be a connectedness that allows there to be communication that flows both ways. That It allows there to be mm-hmm. curiosity about mm-hmm. somebody rather than um, just trying to prove your point and walk out of the room. Uh, or, um, or beyond that, that, that feeling like I talked about of, of community or being part of a team that is working towards something that is bigger than the sum of any of its parts. You know what you just said, which is, it's going to help me in my role in, in bringing this model to the world. Uh, with this word connection, you said three things uh, related, how you understood connection that all begin with the letter C. I did. Yeah. Communication, curiosity, and community. Wow. That wasn't an accident. 
<laughs> I told you he's smarter. He's a smart guy. So what about uh, the, the letter I impact? If you have oh. impact uh, in your company, in your organization, um, what does that look like? And why would that engage somebody? Why would that make somebody engage when they understand when they have impact? Yeah. So, so this is, this is what I've spent years and years and years talking about. Um, and when I talk about impact, I, I don't think of it as performance. I think of it as impacting something greater than your immediate responsibility, which could include others, or it could include a stretch assignment or project, or it could include sharing a best practice or, or, or something and teaching that to another group or mm -hmm. another team to where now they are doing things that are, um, that are delivering better results. So I don't think of impact as, as that kind of job-related performance output. Performance is kind of table stakes in general. Um, mm -hmm. so, so for me, the, the value then in that is not only does that make you a more promotable person, people, people promote people who they know for the right reasons, right? It's, it's not the old adage of it's not who you know, it's what you know or it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's beyond that. It's who knows you and what they know you for. So when you're having an impact on others and on a bigger part of the organization, not only do you feel great that you're mm -hmm. doing this, particularly if you're getting a little bit of recognition, yeah. um, but beyond that, it's also kind of career defining in that it gives you um, in your best light to others to experience and see you become recognized as maybe an expert in certain things, which can start to give you credibility towards those next roles. Uh, and certainly, particularly if you're proactively doing this rather than as a request from a boss or something, um, it's de demonstrative of natural leadership tendencies. And yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the author of uh, Engagement Magic, his name's Tracy Maylett, and he, he's the CEO of a company out in Utah called DecisionWise. He tells a story in that book about he, he, he was on a plane with a gentleman. I think it was a plane. It could have been a train. But the guy had, the guy had this uh, super um, arena type thing on the back. And he says, we're building the world's largest arena. And I think it was going to be in the Philippines. We're building. I'm building. Maeve said, I'm building the biggest arena in the world. And Tracy thought, man, this guy's wearing his work on a T-shirt, so I need to ask him about this. What do you? Right. What's your role in building this thing? You're building it. Is the guy said, I get to screw in every um, wall socket cover in the whole place. I get to do that. That's my contribution to building this beautiful, you know, new arena. And what do you think, mate? Did that come from himself or did that come from the leadership of the project? But he felt like he was, what, what, was, what was the impact of putting the, the light cover on a fixture? What was the impact there? It's like, I, 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 I'm helping with this. Yep. I, it's my part. I'm doing this. Look over there. I've helped build that. That's, a, that's, an, that's an amazing story. And that's impact. Oh, yeah, it is. Absolutely. You yeah, got to see fantastic. it. Last letter from my model is A, and that stands for autonomy. What do you think about autonomy when it comes to work and workplaces and organizations? So maybe this goes back a little bit to, I don't know if this is in kind of championing others. When you give people a voice and you give them room to grow and to spread their wings and to develop in their capabilities without um, micromanagement, uh, it's you know, probably the most fundamental. Um, without mansplaining and giving direction to somebody over and over about something that they may understand um, and, and giving autonomy for people to choose the direction of their career, mm -hmm. choose the, to choose the performance outcomes or at least some of the performance outcomes that they would like to achieve, particularly if they're stretch goals. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yes. And, and that, that autonomy when established and set up in the right manner that has periodic scheduled and appropriate kind of check-ins to, to further the progress, hopefully, ideally. Um, autonomy is an incredibly empowering thing. Um, and it, again, it gives room for people to solve, so, solve problems, make their own ideas. Autonomy is not, by the way, saying, I trust you can go figure it out. When an employee is coming to you with a genuine concern and need for help. 
Yeah. That's not autonomy. That's being a poor leader. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. I'm laughing yeah. because you're, you're spot on. Uh, that old saying, don't come to me with a problem until you have a solution with it. You know, bring a solution too. That is so old school to me because you're yeah. no longer a partner in right. determining where we go forward together as a leader and as a, a, a contributor. You're not a partner now. Now you're sticking your finger in their face going, tell, tell me the solution. Yep. Well, why would I have come if I have a solution? <laughs> right. It, it's really nuts. So um, thank you. You did really, really awesome on did my I pass the test? Um, yes, you got a A plus. A plus. Oh, you had to uh, check. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here are two other things that are sort of in the ether when it comes to leadership and organizational health. And I want you to kind of riff on those things. And let's start. Let, I, I, know, I remember the first one and the second one will come to me, but let's just talk about um, coaching. Tell, what's your thoughts? What are your thoughts about uh, leaders and maybe even well, or a coaching culture? Do you believe in that? I firmly believe in a coaching culture. Um, now, I come from a, a maybe a bias to coaching culture uh, because coming out of the military and then into this Fortune 15 organization where coaching was a big thing, uh, I, I appreciated it. I appreciated be, having a partner who was not um, directing, but tr truly coaching, being a part of um, understanding opportunities, solutions, uh, providing feedback regularly that is constructive, providing feedback regularly that is sometimes not constructive, but just informational and good to have um, versus, you know, my immediate experience prior to that, which is not a coaching <laughs> culture in the military. There's no coaching involved. There, there is, um, there is rule and standard and um, protocol protocol yeah that's that's really about it if it's not in the manual it doesn't <laughs> exist right so um <laughs> we live that people we live that he and i it's true it's true and so uh, and by the way this is a long time ago so i, I mean i hate to, to go way back but um but for me I, I would say you know it's just to preface my where my background on my answer is um, being involved in a high performance culture, but there was also very coaching centric. So it really boils always down to intention and execution though, in a coaching, coaching culture, right? Um, if, if the intention, and this is of the individual, because the, the, the most correct assumption for this conversation is that an organization that has a coaching culture wants it to be a productive and supportive and thriving environment for all. Now, the intention and execution is up to the individual leaders or people who are doing it, right? And so if it is to check the box because they don't necessarily agree with the process, then certainly you're going to have bad outcomes. And I don't agree with that execution. If the intention or the execution is around making people better as a result of them having a brief or lengthy interaction with you, depending on what was appropriate, now we're talking about the right things. Feedback, when, when you say coaching culture, I think of regular, frequent, feedback tied to not just a problem, not just a solution, but to a person and what together that coach and that person can work on to achieve the desired outcome. Wow. The, the, the second thing I was going to ask you about, but we're not going there because I think you already have shared when you're talking about regular, consistent, and you know, what, what, what I see in the ether a lot these days is one-on-one, one-on-ones with your manager. Uh, at least once a week or at least every two weeks, but you covered that because a coaching a coaching culture expects those kind of regular meetings between leaders and employees it, it, or is there something else you want to say about one on ones yeah there's there's one other thing I want to say about one on ones um, if you're if you're a leader, quit coming into one on ones prepared with all of the results for a person yeah and, yes, going, sir. and, and going down a list of results um, so could you imagine? A athlete, let's pick a non-controversial athlete, <laughs> to whoever your favorite one is, an athlete going in to their wide receiver. They go into a wide receivers meeting, NFL, right? And the wide receivers coach sits down with them and says, all right, so let's take a look at your stats so far for the season. Now, you said you wanted to have a 1,000-yard season. So right now you have X, you have Y, you have Z. Um, and by the way, last week you dropped one pass and, the, and then just kind of goes down the stats and says, all right, so 
Um, obviously, to, to be able to achieve what you need to with six games left, you have to average X amount of yards per. You have to have X amount of catches per. That's not coaching. I can read numbers and I can do math to divide by the remaining work days I have left in the month or week or quarter to figure out what I need to achieve. That's not coaching, right? Coaching is something that gives me behavior, action, support, reinforcement, guidance, direction on achieving whatever my, my next needed outcome is. Um, the other thing is that coaching is, is having mutually agreed upon actions or outcomes, not just directed outcomes or actions. Right? Oh, man. Take, take that to the bank, dude. Mutually agreed upon actions and outcomes. Mutually agreed upon. Really important. So that's yeah. beautiful. Hey, um, we're gonna we're getting close to wrapping up. Uh, Is it that time already? Yeah, we've been we've been yapping a lot. Oh boy, you more than me, but yeah. <laughs> so, I get paid to talk for a living. What do you want me to do? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, you, I, I want to know if you're willing to share um, what helped you transform. And you actually mentioned it, maybe in the short form or maybe earlier in this interview. What, what was the catalyst that um, set you on your journey of belonging and being a better leader? And, and I know this occurred for you in your uh, Fortune 15 company, but, uh, you, and you shared with me a little bit about your story, but I think, it, and, and it's probably in your book. Yeah. But I love the way you said it and how it happened. And if you, if I think people would really love to hear uh, Devin's story about you know, your own kind of transformation. All right, so I'll break this into uh, a couple of chunks in my life because it was progressive mm-hmm. uh, in in my awakening, if you will, or my my come to 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 understanding like what was really truly authentically at my core that that I needed to fulfill in life. So the first part was I grew up as a a little kid going to air shows and loved the Blue Angels and decided for sure I'm going to go into the Navy. I'm going to go into aviation. I love it. The movie Top Gun came out when I was a kid. That just sent me over the top. I was like, definitely going to happen. That's where I belong. And And then I did it. I made it happen. And I was there and I'm on the aircraft carrier. I'm like ducking under the wing of planes in the hangar bay and so cool. And then, you know, it's the military. So ultimately the military has missions and objectives that it has to fulfill. And that happened uh, while I was there in the Persian Gulf. And an awakening came that, oh, maybe I don't necessarily like this stuff. And I, you know, I never really thought about being in the military. I thought I was just going to be in aviation and, and around these cool jets, high performance jets. And while I respect and appreciate so much of my journey in the military, I, I came to realize that, that it wasn't where I belonged. The word wasn't belonging. It was like, uh, I, I don't want to be here, you know, after I'm done. It's, it's something, something along those lines. But the, the feeling that I didn't have was belongingness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, kind of fa- fast, go ahead. Uh, you would not equate then esprit de corps and the team kind of accomplishment of a mission and that's kind of what the Navy drills into us, right? Oh, yeah, the battle. So you you the wouldn't battle. view that. You wouldn't view that as belonging. No. Okay. No, I, I don't think I would. Um, not because there wasn't an aligned purpose or value, right? I think. Explain that a little bit. There uh, wasn't. For me, there wasn't an aligned oh, I see. value. Um, gotcha. We. we Here's the thing. So everybody's supposed to celebrate when we got our first battle E ribbon as a as a aircraft carrier, right? And for those listening, that just means that we won a, a fake little war or something. Hey, I got right? two of those. Yeah. Right, cool. You won two fake wars. And so <laughs> so we won we won a, a war game. Our ship outperformed, you know, the the rest. We we shot down the, I, who knows what we did. Because I don't know. Why? Because the mission dictates that my role didn't have all of that information. So then we got this pin and we're like, yeah, we got everybody who got the battle. Either. And I'm like, so where do I put it again then? So which, oh, it goes on the top. Which do I have to move a different ribbon down? That was the extent of how connected I was to it because I had no idea everything that the guys in intelligence and ops and on the bridge and 
and flight ops and everywhere else were doing as part of supporting their mission. Not because a bad leader didn't communicate, but because in the military, the structure specifically dictates that it's kind of the Bill Belichick method, just show up and do your job, right? And, uh, and so, and so there, there's actually a mission critical necessity to not share out that information for fear of things being disseminated uh, more widely than they should be. So, so yeah, there, there was no sense of pride in necessarily feeling that. I didn't have a value aligned with it. Now, had I known that we were going into some war games and us and the Australians were going to team up against South Korea and whoever, and you know, maybe it would have felt different. You know, um, that did not trickle down to you, though. Negative, negative. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, we, and we had different experiences, right? You were commissioned and I, I was enlisted. And so you probably had a little more information than I had on the day to day. Um, really, all anybody cared about was, did I get my plane up and running again so my pilot could fly? I mean, that's what they cared about, right? Yeah. And, um, and I found purpose and meaning in doing that. I like doing it. Mm -hmm. right? Okay. So, uh, so fast forward now. I'm, I'm in my kind of Fortune 15 company mm -hmm. and I get my first management job and I'm getting promoted in a job that uh, I spent time as a peer with all of these people. And now I'm their manager and um, Bud the boss, as they say. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it was, um, it was a rocky first six months. I came in and I did all of the things that every single leadership book tells you explicitly on page one, never do these things. And I was like, burn that. I know better. I'm going to come <laughs> in and I'm going to do this. And I came in and I emulated some people who were who already had the position I had or higher positions, I emulated their behaviors, even though it didn't align with necessarily who I was, mm. because I thought that's what you had to do to be successful in this organization. Well, turns out, and fortunately I had built a good relationship with these people who I was leading, a few of them came to me and said, you're gonna have a mutiny on your hands unless you get this sorted out, because this is, this is just not a cool situation. And that, right, and, and so what I was doing is I was managing the KPIs, all the stuff I already said don't do, sure. yeah, I did it. I'm not infallible either. Uh, early on, I made all of the classic mistakes, errors that you could possibly make. I signed up for them and I ran full speed at them. And got the t-shirt for all that too. I right? did. And so what, what I ended up with though was this deep appreciation and understanding that if I'm coaching to and leading people rather than coaching to and leading outcomes and results, um, good things happen. And so again, don't have the word belonging yet, but now it's about creating a team of cohesive people that are working towards a common goal. I then, you know, to see what the impact of that was. Uh, so that was my first six months as manager, my next six months to a place where we're winning, you know, quarterly and annual awards where I have people on my team asking, hey, can I lead a team meeting? I'd love to talk about this. I'd love to share this with the people. Right. So that, that's, that's all. And of course I said, yes. Right. And so there's yeah. your environment and there's your, your collaboration and there's your growth, uh, growth and, and cognitive diversity and all of these things happening. And then we kind of fast forward to really, uh, I mean, I'm going to take you now full like 18 years later to where for me, um, I, I had a unexpected you know, passing of my father last year and it, it really, a uh, kind of, I was going through the existential crisis of what's the meaning of life? Uh, what am I doing? I, how do my kids see me? How much time do I have left with them? I, all, of, all of the things that happened. And, um, and an opportunity came up for me to leave my organization. And now, you know, I'd been working with uh, a boss who we certainly did not in any way see eye to eye. As a matter of fact, there were some accusations made against me of some things that I didn't in no way had anything to do with me, but, um, but we, we clearly had never connected. So she felt comfortable enough making that accusation. And that told me, listen, I don't belong here. So then between that and my father passing um, and having now been a student of what great cultures and outcomes combined kind of look like, I was very clear going, I don't belong here and I have to change it now. And I realized that not everybody could be in a situation where they could actually do that and leave. You kind of have to stick around and do it. Um, and I felt very fortunate that I was in a position to be able to do that. So now that's what I've committed and dedicated all of my work to is to help create environments where that can happen for others. Wow. Devin, um, this has been a powerfully powerful uh, interview, at least on my part. And it's been fun. I've enjoyed every moment of it. Good. I'm going to give you the last word again. 
uh, tell our listeners about where they can find you, what you have for them, uh, about your book, all that good stuff about, you know, promoting yourself to, to, to get the word of Devin right. Holiday out there. So don't stop watching, don't stop listening, because I'm going to give you something. And then I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with them. Sales guy, watch. Yeah, right. <laughs> I might have sold something before. So I would like to give you, uh, give away two copies to your listeners and viewers of my book, two autograph copies. So all you need to do is go to defined, just like right there, defined.belongingfactor.com. And there you'll be able to enter to win. I'm giving away two signed copies of my new book, Belonging Factor. And by the way, Belonging Factor is available on Amazon right now in every format you could possibly imagine. Awesome. And if you want to get in touch with me, find me on LinkedIn, connect with me directly there. I'd love to talk with you and your organization about what we could do to achieve the things you want to achieve. Wonderful. Devin, it's been a delight. Uh, uh, we just kind of became acquainted and, and got friendly in the last few weeks. So that's how it works when you're, when you're, you know, when you're working on common goals and things like that. It's very, very cool. I love so, the work you're doing and I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Well, thank you again, and we'll see you down the road, if not next Friday afternoon at noon. Love it. Right? Take care, Devin. Cheers. Bye-bye.